Welcome to Lynn Cullen Live, talk radio without the static. Email your questions and comments to lynn at pghcitypaper.com. And now your host, Lynn Cullen. Hey, hello and welcome. Uh, welcome to May 2nd. If in fact it is for you when you're listening to this, it is for me right now. Oh boy, I made a grave error and watched... Uh, quite a bit of the uh, bar hearings yesterday afternoon. And you know, toward the end, <laughs> toward the end, I mean, the only word really that I kept ricocheting around in my, my poor head was loathsome. Just what a loathsome person. There were, just the way he holds himself, his body language, his attempt at coolness when he is the least cool person in the room, his posing, I guess, at coolness. And then you watch Kamala Harris take him down. If you haven't seen her questioning. You can see why he doesn't want to go 30 rounds with lawyers because she was a prosecutor herself, right? Wow. He was back on his heels through the entire five minutes. Stumbling, looking around for, you know, you could see every, every brain cell he had firing on overtime, desperately trying as she just bang, bang. Bang. If you haven't seen it, look it up. Now, if, if the media that pay attention to uh, the would-be uh, presidential uh, contenders for the Democratic Party uh, were paying, playing fair, and by fair I mean not sexist, that Kamala Harris thing would be all over the place. She would be like Pete Buttigieg and his wonderful performance on CNN that catapulted him into the front ranks. Um, it was brilliant. And all I can say is as I watched her, I thought, whoa, cool, smart, and man, I would not want her coming at me. She looked like a leader. And she took that slimy toad down. There were two things he said toward the end that just enraged me. And um, he clearly was trying to disrespect in every way Robert Mueller throughout his testimony. We already know he has mischaracterized Mueller's work. He mischaracterized even the letter that came to light just about 36 hours ago that Mueller had sent him. He mischaracterized, I su suspect, the phone call that uh, resulted from the letter. He told, he told the committee that after receiving the letter from Mueller, in which Mueller said that he had missed the, the substance the everything, I mean, was absolutely was concerned, why can't I find the exact words? Because you have to remember that Mueller's letter was a total repudiation of what Barr had rolled out as Mueller's work. Mueller said that what Barr had done was, was uh, create public confusion uh, about critical aspects <laughs> of his investigation. He put that in writing. That is pretty awesome. 
somebody asked him, are you aware of any other attorney general in our history receiving a letter like you received? Essentially repudiating your summary of his work. Of course, he couldn't come up with um, anything. Let us remember, Mueller said to him, that the way Barr was handling the release of the report was threatening to undermine a central purpose for which he was appointed to assure that there was full public confidence in the outcome of the investigation. Make no mistake about it, Mueller's letter was a true condemnation of his friend, Bill Barr. And then Barr, sort of sitting like like this and looking at the letter, supposedly. He says, well, the letter was a bit snitty. And here's, here was the body language, a bit snitty and probably written by one of his staff people. Well, let me assure you, it was not written by one of his staff people. Does Bob Mueller strike you as somebody who, for such an important consequential letter, which he had to know would be made public, that he would say, hey, Junior, write that, I'll sign it. So the disrespect to this honorable man who supposedly is his friend was awesome. It was a betrayal. If there is a friendship there, it was such a repulsive public betrayal. And for whom was the Attorney General of the United States betraying his friend, disrespecting his friend, for whom? For Donald Trump? Wow. And then Barr had the gall to say, under oath, that the phone call was all about how the media distorted the report. And that's pretty much what it was about. Mueller was complaining, not about Barr, but about the media. And I think it was Senator Blumenthal who pulled the rug out from under Barr on that one. He said, why would the phone call be about media when media and any misrepresentation media was doing of the report was not even mentioned in the letter. How could the phone call immediately after the letter is received be about something the letter was not? And then there was this other slimy little thing where Barr wanted it made perfectly clear that Bob Mueller, who everybody treats like he's some kind of an honorable man, whatever that is, um, was merely an underling to him and had obviously screwed up in some way or else Barr wouldn't be there now enduring these questions. Okay. 
And so he said, look, he says to the senators. Bob Mueller's work concluded when he sent his report to the attorney general. At that point, the loathsome creature said, it was my baby. This is the Attorney General of the United States talking about this investigation into whether or not a hostile foreign power interfered in our democracy. And he was saying, <laughs> it was my baby. It is my baby now. Loathsome. Russ says, I watched our local news and even the national nightly news and the hearings were Barr and Lindsey Graham and very little about the Democrats that questioned him. Well... <laughs> That's why what Barr is doing is working. He set the narrative with his misleading characterization of the findings of the report, allowing the president and the Republicans to say, no collusion, no, when that was not the case. But when we know we have so many people in this country who first don't pay attention and secondly are easily misled, easily fall for all kinds of false narratives and in fact false facts, which of course is a oxymoron, but not now. False facts. <laughs> That's sort of where we're at. Anyway, I just found it repulsive. And um, you'll recall, um, Barr's also fond of saying, how did we get to this point where a president is essentially hounded throughout his, his first two years, accused of everything from collusion to treason, and then... We do the, and nothing, there's nothing. There he is, He's the attorney general acting like, I mean, if we wanted all that show, we could have had Rudy Giuliani appear. He's actually funnier. We, if you'll recall, I think remember how um, Robert Mueller ended up getting appointed, right? Again, by a Republican, and Mueller's a Republican, and I believe it had something to do with the president firing the FBI director, <laughs> James Comey, who wasn't doing everything that the president wanted him to do, which is shut this thing down. And the president admitted as much on national television. I saw it. Didn't you see it? He said it right there to Lester Holt. Ah, this Russia thing. That's why I did it. False facts. That's what these guys traffic in. But I want to get to James Comey. I also see I have a caller. So let me get the caller in, and I want to get to something James Comey wrote uh, yesterday. Caller, go ahead. Hi, Lynn. It's Jeff. Hi, Jeff. You you do good or you? <laughs> uh, <laughs> Don't you call me names. Hey, you know, the only thing, the only thing I can think is that 
Trump, through his various dealings with Russia and whatever, and their intelligence, he knows where all the bodies are buried, you know, to use a cliche. Lindsey Graham, the way he is kissing Trump's ass, it goes beyond partisan politics. I think so, There's too. something happening there, something. you know, and who knows with this bar, he's probably some kind of freak or something, too. You know, so that's the only thing I could think, because it is just too weird. It goes beyond just Republicans supporting Republicans. I, I, I don't know. It's. Well, did you? I what I where I want to go after we finish talking is to the piece James Comey wrote about exactly this question you're asking yourself, like, what's going on? Well, when these people. I don't know. I didn't see any. I didn't see anything that Comey wrote, but I look forward to hearing what you have to say about it, and that's one of the reasons why I love listening to your show. Oh, I'm always learning you. something new. Thank you. And and how about that Jeopardy guy? Is he ever going to stop? Okay, wait. Do you, do, are you watching him nonstop? I mean, are you watching yeah, him? Yeah, well, I haven't mi- yeah, I haven't missed, yeah. So, well, then maybe you wouldn't be the guy to play this with, but um, somebody's been compiling. I have a list of all of the uh, answers, questions, whatever, that he got either didn't answer or got wrong, that, you know, and they're a very small group, but I, I have them all. You want to you wanna take a little run through some of them? No way, because I'll tell you what, that dude that dude is tough. I'm pretty good at trivia well, like I'll that. I'll tell you what. But that I, dude just blows me away. I went know? through those questions yeah. that he either missed or didn't know, so he didn't buzz in. And um, I knew the answer. I was a little shocked, actually, at two of them, because, and I think you would be too. My, my guess is I am stunned he didn't. Uh, here, I'll give you the ones. You'll be astonished, too, because you'll know these. Okay. 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 Um, okay. The, uh, the title is, wait, some, I mean, the, the topic was Spanish Civil War, okay? And it says okay. some yep. 800 American volunteers died fighting for the Loyalists, many as part of a battalion named for this. 19th century president? Uh, boy, I don't know. Oh, you're kidding. Really? Why do I know? Yeah, honestly, I don't know. Uh, 800 American volunteers in the Spanish, in the Spanish uh, Civil War. They formed a brigade. I think that was the brigade that like maybe Hemingway and all those guys were in. It was called the Abraham Lincoln Brigade. I didn't know that. You didn't know that? Oh. Mm, no. And I remember that question too. I still don't know it after okay. hearing the answer and everything. <laughs> and then there, and then then the one I, uh, before it, I know, but I know because I'm a, of course, uh, you know, an old movie fan. So this one is the topic was movie stories, and here it is in the shop around the corner. That's the movie. Margaret Sullivan and this actor bicker at work, but are sweethearts by letter. I have no idea. Well, I knew that too in a nanosecond. Yeah, didn't, didn't Jim, know Jimmy it. Stewart. Well, maybe you should go on Jeopardy and no, give this guy a run for his money. No, but those are then. the only ones. And there was two others I knew. All of the others. Oh, and they didn't know this one. This is stunning. Come on, you got to know this one. Uh, subject: American poetry. Don't let that scare you. Frank O'Hara's most famous poem is "The Day Lady Died." in which he reads about this jazz singer's death in 1959. Billy Holiday. Yeah! Okay, yeah, that, that's fairly easy. I know. Did you see, did you see the episode that. where that dude came real close to beating him? Yeah, I, I didn't see that show, but I wish I had. Anyway. The whole time I'm watching it, the dude got the daily double. I'm like, better it all, dude. You got to better it all. And he came. He got it, too. Okay. If, There's two more I got. It's a matter of and I've got, to, I've got to share with you the two more I got. And it's not like necessarily okay. I know. Well, this one I knew. The, the subject ballet. And it says, the creators of 1943's Fancy Free called each other Lenny and Jerry, Leonard Bernstein, and this choreographer. Who's the Jerry choreographer? 
Good God, the ballet and dance is not my subject. Uh, I have no idea. Well, I I'm am. really embarrassing myself here. Jerome Robbins. You ever heard of him? Never even heard of him. Yeah, never even heard of him. Okay, That's okay. And then, okay, so all those I got, and he didn't, and there's one more. One more. And this one I guessed at, and maybe he just, okay. This, the topic is journalists. Often called okay. the first war, one of these, Crimean War reporter William Howard Russell preferred special, not war, one of these. Correspondent? Yes! No, that's, a, that's just a guess, but yeah. Well, it was and a guess for get me that, huh? too, but how do you not guess that? You see how smart you are? Not as smart as that dude. That dude is tough. I know. He's ridiculous. He really is ridiculous. (laughs) And I did get this one. I did get this before and after one. Um, It starts with French. Ne m'oubliez pas. Flowers. And I know enough French to quickly see that means don't forget. So that's like forget-me-nots, right? Ne m'oubliez pas. Flowers bloom as a Dallas TV spinoff. Well, so... Forget me, not landing. landing. Right. He didn't get that. Huh. I'm just saying. Hey. I'm just saying. I'm going to get back to work if that's okay. Okay. And I'm going to let you tell me all about tell me all about the James Comey thing. Okay. Right. Thank you. Goodbye. Goodbye. Okay. Thanks. Bye. Bye. Ooh, and I knew this one, too. Double indemnity. But no, but I knew it sitting here reading them without having to buzz a buzzer and bang and I don't, you know, I know. So he's not infallible, (laughs) but he's close. Okay, enough frivolity. Um, Actually, last night I got a... um, email from my brother, and he had also emailed Susan and his kids and his wife. He's in Scotland at the moment, and he said, check this out, written by uh, Comey. And then he had a, you know, a thing to click on. And what he sent us was the Ann Arbor, Michigan weather forecast. (laughs) And I believe, I can't remember which, was it Susan or his wife who said, uh, Bill, uh, that was the uh, weather forecast. And he was never heard from again, but I came upon it all on my own. And um, I normally don't like doing this, but um, whenever I think I shouldn't do this, I think of Doug Hirth, who, of course, was a long, long, long-standing and brilliant talk show host here. And um, he did this kind of thing. If he found something that he thought was so compelling, he just flat-out read it to his audience rather than try to paraphrase it or something. So I found myself just sort of underlining stuff in it, and, and I pulled a few little things out, but mostly I'll just read it. This is Comey, and it's... It's him wrestling with the same question you wrestle with and I wrestle with and our caller was wrestling with is what is what is it that would make a man who had a good reputation and legacy, Bill Barr, taint himself as he has? What is it that would have forced Lindsey Graham who used to belittle this president as an idiot, now pay constant fealty to him. What is it that makes these good men or go to the dark side, essentially, that, and we wrestle with that? 
some people, like, say they got to have something on them. Like, you know, uh, they could have something on Graham, God knows. Does somebody have something on Barr? Is this an effort or is this really who they, I don't know. But here's Comey, who also is wrestling with this. And it's interesting because he was there. He knows these people. And he, too, is stunned. No matter what you think of him, he's a complicated guy, right? Here's what Comey writes. People have been asking me hard questions. What happened to the leaders in the Trump administration, especially Attorney General William Barr, who I have said was due the benefit of the doubt? I remember when he wrote that. He knew William Barr, and he said, uh, don't jump on him. Don't assume he's going to do the wrong thing. I'd give him the benefit of the doubt at this point. Comey goes on to ask questions. How could Barr, a bright and accomplished lawyer, start channeling the president, using phrases like no collusion and FBI spying, and by downplaying acts of obstruction of justice as products of the president being frustrated and angry, something he never would say to justify the thousands of crimes prosecuted every day that are the product of frustration and anger. Just because you're frustrated and angry, which is how he gave Trump a pass on all his obstruction actions. He was frustrated. He was angry. Comey saying, since when is that? A get-out-of-jail-free card. 90% of the people in jail are there because they were frustrated and angry. Back to Comey. How could Barr write and say things about the report by Mueller, the special counsel, that were apparently so misleading that they prompted written protests from the special counsel himself? How could Deputy Attorney General Rod Rosenstein, after the release of Mueller's report, that detailed Trump's determined efforts to obstruct justice give a speech quoting Donald Trump on the importance of the rule of law. Rosenstein did that. Or Steen. Or, how could Rosensteinstein, on resigning, thank a president who relentlessly attacked both him and the Department of Justice he served, how could he thank him, which he did, he thanked Trump for, quote, the courtesy and humor you often display in our personal conversations. And then Comey asked the question that we're all asking, what happened to these people? He goes on, I don't know for sure. People are complicated, so the answer is most likely complicated, but I have some idea from four months of working closely with Mr. Trump and many more months of watching him shape others. Amoral leaders have a way of revealing the character of those around them. Sometimes what they reveal is inspiring. For example, Jim Mattis, the former Secretary of, De of Defense, resigned his position over principle, a concept so alien to Donald Trump that it took days for him to realize what had happened before he could start lying about Mattis. But more often, proximity to an amoral leader 
reveals not something inspiring but something depressing. I think that's at least part of what we're seeing with Barr and Rosenstein. Accomplished people lacking inner strength cannot resist the compromises necessary to survive Trump, and that adds up to something they will never recover from. It takes character, character like Mr. Mattis's, to avoid the damage because Trump eats your soul in small bites. It starts with your sitting silent while he lies, both in public and in private, making you complicit by your silence. In meetings with him, his assertions about everyone thinks and this is obviously true, just wash over you unchallenged as they did at our private dinner in 2017 because, well, he's the president and he rarely stops talking. As a result, Trump pulls all of those who are present into a silent circle of assent. And I just um, think of the pictures you've seen of Trump holding forth at a cabinet meeting. Nobody's taking him on at those meetings. They all just sit there listening to him lie, knowing he's lying. And then Comey goes on to talk about the other thing, how Trump requires public acknowledgement of his greatness. And you may recall, I'll never get it out of my head, that cabinet meeting early in his administration where everyone at that table was forced to tell the great leader how great he was and how incredible it was to be able to serve him. Do you remember that? It was chilling. Everybody but Mattis. It came to Mattis and he said something about how privileged he was by virtue of his position as defense secretary to work with the wonderful people of the U.S. military. He did not do what all the others had. So, so Trump pulls all of those who are in his presence into this silent circle of assent. It's why I love that picture I told you about yesterday of the Baylor women's uh, basketball team standing in his presence while he's trying to make them laugh and act like everything's normal, and they're just standing there. You can just imagine what's going through their heads, their contempt for him. Comey goes on, so speaking rapid fire, Trump, with no spot for others to jump into the conversation, Trump makes everyone a co-conspirator in his preferred set of facts or delusions. I have felt it. This president building with his words a web of alternative reality and busily wrapping it around me and everybody else in the room. From the private circle of assent, it moves to public displays of personal fealty at places like cabinet meetings. While the entire world is watching, you do what everyone else around the table does. You talk about how amazing the leader is. This is like North Korea crap. And what an honor it is to be associated with him. It is absolutely North Korea crap. Sure, you notice that Mr. Mattis never actually praises the president, always speaking instead of the honor of representing the men and women of our military, but he's a special case, right? Former Marine General and all. No way the rest of us could get away with that. So you praise the leader while the world watches and the web gets 
tighter. Next comes Mr. Trump attacking institutions and values that you hold dear. Things you have always said must be protected and which you criticized past leaders for not supporting strongly enough. Yet, you sit silent. Because after all, what are you supposed to say? He's the president of the United States. You feel this happening, it bothers you, but, but his outrageous conduct convinces you that you simply have to stay to preserve and protect the people, the institutions and values you hold dear. Along with Republican members of Congress, you tell yourself you are, well, you are just too important for the nation to lose, especially now. I mean, you can't say this out loud, but in a time of emergency with the nation led by a deeply unethical person, this will be your contribution, your personal sacrifice for America. You're smarter than Donald Trump, and you're playing a long game so you can pull it off where lesser people have failed and been fired by tweet. Of course, to stay, you must be seen as on his team. So you make other compromises. You use his language. Spying. Collusion. You praise his leadership. You tout his commitment to values. And then you are lost. He has eaten your soul. That's the former head of the FBI, James Comey. And can you imagine? I mean, I think that more than anything else, that line where and it's true, Trump eats your soul in small bites. Remember when Lindsey Graham started playing golf with him all of a sudden? And he started saying nice things about him. All around that golf course, Trump was taking little nibbles, <laughs> apparently, little bites. And I want to say this because I think Comey is right about this. Um, do not underestimate this disgusting creature who now holds the presidency of this nation. We underestimated him <laughs> once and maybe a million times after that. But there are some things he clearly knows how to do or he wouldn't be where he is and he wouldn't be able to do what he's been doing the destruction the dismantling of people's reputations of our country's standing of whole institutions what has he left untouched not football, not the Boy Scouts, not even this year's NFL draft. Do you see what he did with that? D did you? The first guy chosen was this extraordinary uh, black athlete, Heisman Trophy winner. Trump didn't say boo about him. Second guy taken is a white guy who said something negative about Colin Kaepernick once. And Trump, the president, reaches out to the white guy who came in second, not the black guy who came in first, and praises him to the skies. It doesn't matter what it is. He intrudes upon our lives and he has an 
innate talent to bully people, to frighten people, to terrorize them. I don't know. But I think Comey's on to something when he talks about, you know, it's just, it's like grooming. He's groomed. If you come into his orbit, you start getting groomed. And for people who also crave power, as all of those people sitting around a cabinet table would. Well, for power, to satisfy that, and I've heard people say about Graham that the one thing he always wants is power. He doesn't want to be inconsequential. So if this guy's the president, then he's got to head that way. That's a calculation he made. Could be. Kathleen writes, your program is an oasis in the parched world of our current political reality. Thank you. And then Kathleen says, I am not paranoid. I'm not a conspiracy nut. I am not psychic. Yet my gut tells me that Barr has been bribed handsomely and that Lindsey Graham is being blackmailed. I have not a shred of evidence to support my claim, but I'm sure I'm right. You're paranoid. <laughs> you see what, I mean, this is what's happening to us. You heard my sister yesterday, or the, two days ago, float the most absurd conspiracy theory I've ever heard about Orthodox Jews getting the measles. And, <laughs> and I think this is what's happening to us in these toxic times. We're, we're, he's poisoning all of us so that we trust nothing. And I understand why it gets to be like that because we don't understand we cannot figure out what could have happened to Bill Barr. What possibly could have happened to Lindsey Graham? We can't come up with anything, and so, yeah, you start spinning stories. And that is a conspiracy theory. I don't, I don't know. Little Tony says, after Barr's no-show this morning, some of the Democrats were making statements for the media. One congressman had a plastic chicken with him. And called him Chicken Barr. No, no. Why is that something you would do? Someone sent me a piece called How Conservatives Rationalize Their Surrender to Trump. So I guess that's sort of the same kind of thing we're talking about. Maybe we'll get to that in a second. Uh, Beth writes, I listened to the whole thing with um, Kamala Harris questioning Barr. And Beth writes, when Harris and Senator Blumenthal started to get under Barr's skin. I saw that too, and he was good. He reminded me of Jack Nicholas's character in A Few Good Men. Yeah, yeah, that's right. That's why you're in the movie business. That's right. I am in charge, and how dare someone like you question me? Yeah, there was that incredible hubris, condescension, and yeah, I'm the big boy here stuff, the strutting, the mud. And to see that beautiful woman just turn him into a babbling idiot, it was, it made my day. Check it out. Some other things Beth says that we learned that no one went back to on the evening pundit shows one, in Barr's call with Mueller, it was on speakerphone, right, and several people were in the office, and someone was taking notes of that call. And so when Senator Blumenthal asked if 
the committee could get a copy of those notes. Well, that was at the very end, right. So he said, well, so there are notes of that meeting. Could, could you please share those with the committee? And here's what Barr did. He was, first of all, he was always leaning. He was like this. Could you share those with the committee? And Barr said, no. Just like that, no. And then Lindsey Graham gaveled the meeting, finished. Um, Beth also says other things that came out at the hearing. Barr is still conducting business with his old law firm on behalf of Goldman Sachs in regards to some case with someone from Malaysia, and this same person is under investigation by, wait for it, the Department of Justice that Barr heads. Wait a minute. I didn't hear that one. Are you effing kidding me? <coughs> Beth says, I knew when I looked at Barr's wife at his confirmation hearing that the Barr's and Muller's were not friends. I think I remember you pointing that out. Because that's where he said it. Well, Bob and, uh, and I are friends. Our families get together. Uh, we blah, blah, blah. Um, and she looked a little like, we're great friends. I bump into his wife at Bible study on occasion. Beth says, also, I cannot wait for the day that we finally get to see the photos of Lindsey Graham in a most compromising position that this White House is holding over on him. On a side note, did you see Hillary last night on Rachel Maddow? No. She was brilliant. I am paraphrasing, but she said what would happen if the Chinese, to get in favor with the Democrats, hacked into the eye. Oh, yeah, she said something like, if China is listening, could you uh, get us Donald Trump's tax returns? You know, as a joke about him saying, hey, Russia, give us her emails. And they did. <clears throat> um, wow. I don't know, guys. So this is an opinion piece, oh, by Max Boot, who is himself a Republican, or at least was. He used to be a Republican conservative commentator who's been brought over to the enlightened side by this creature in the White House. And he's, oh, he's writing about Comey's piece. Well, this is interesting. So Comey's piece just comes out saying that Trump literally eats people's souls that he pulls around him and that there's no way by virtue of his power as president that anyone escapes. The only one he said escaped was Mattis. So Max Boot... Can we read this together? Uh, Max Booth says, uh, James Comey has published the most insightful analysis I have read of how Trump corrupts those who work for him. It reminded me of something I wrote in, uh, back in 2016 while Trump was still one of many candidates seeking the nomination for the Republicans. I wrote, this is in general a moment of testing for Republicans. It's a character test. Do you believe in the open and inclusive party of Ronald Reagan, or do you want a bigoted and extremist party in the image of Donald Trump? Well, <laughs> we got our answer. <clears throat> we got our answer. And Boots says, if any further proof were necessary, it would be found Wednesday in watching Lindsey Graham spout pro-Trump conspiracy theories from his perch as chair of the Senate Judiciary Committee and berate FBI agents for expressing opposition to Trump while conveniently forgetting that he himself called Trump a kook, a bigot, he called him crazy, and he called him unfit for office. A similar metamorphosis, Boot turn, uh, reminds us, has occurred 
not only among other conservative politicians, but also commentators, the National Review, the Wall Street Journal editorial page, um, all of them, all of them. Um, the surrender by conservatives has proceeded through a gradual process of compromise and corruption similar to what Comey was saying about those on the inside being corrupted. And the most important factor driving this process is fear of the professional consequence of opposing this vengeful occupant of the Oval Office. So these guys have fallen in line because they're scared. They're scared. Jeez. Members of Congress have seen what happened to former Senator Jeff Flake, former Representative Mark Sanford, who had the gall to occasionally criticize the great Trump. They lost office. Members of right-wing media have seen what happened to radio host Michael Medved, a conservative who was critical of Trump. He was replaced by a Trump sycophant. Or cartoonist Rob Rogers, who was fired from the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette for criticizing Trump. Or the staff of the Weekly Standard, which was shut down just before Christmas because its Republican owner wanted to put his money behind a more pro-Trump publication. Or pundits critical of Trump, such as George Will, whose contract with uh, Fox, no, whose contracts were not renewed with Fox News. Or television and radio personality Glenn Beck, who lost most of his audience because of his anti-Trump stance. He has since come around. He's now wearing a MAGA hat. The fear of economic extinction is a powerful inducement to see Trump in the best possible light. You begin by saying, I don't like Trump, but... And then you explain why you have to support him to save America from Hillary Clinton or Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez or Bernie Sanders. There's always some villain on the horizon, far worse than Trump. You excuse his outrageous utterances. Oh, those are, you know, tweets. Ignore them. When you can't actually defend him, you instead attack his critics, claiming they suffer from Trump derangement syndrome. And the more the critics attack you for your support of Trump, the more you dig in. The more Trump misconduct you defend, the more you feel compelled to defend. And in for a penny, in for a pound, no going back now. You tell yourself, and this is what Comey said, that only by staying loyal to the president can you check his worst excesses. You are convinced that you're too valuable to risk losing your position and that whoever replaces you will be far more of a Trump enabler than you are. Eventually, you end up excusing the most blatant assault on the rule of law since Watergate and saying that Trump is the best president ever. And then, as Comey wrote, you are lost. He has eaten your soul. You know, in these times, we're learning a lot about um, human nature, aren't we? And uh, a lot of it is rather depressing. <laughs> Speaking of that, here's Roger. I say rather depressing, and I pull up Roger's email. It's, how does a thinking individual not slit their wrists these days? <laughs> right. Well, I don't know. Is there a caller there? Oh, for God's sakes. Caller, I'm sorry. Hey, no problem, Lynn. Good morning to you. Hello. Hello. Uh, good morning. John from Greensburg. Uh, first of all, I don't know why anyone would be startled by this, well, I won't call it a turn by Barr. Uh, he's a bag man. Uh, always has been completely buys into the uh, authoritarian uh, Republican mindset um, and is uh, enthralled to promoting the idea of a top-down society where you know, um, a, a strong right-wing leader, a nationalist leader, um, backed up by 
corporate interests will essentially dictate government and uh, government the, will, will essentially dictate law and more. Well, this is the definition of society. fascism. Yeah, I mean, you're, you're giving a definition of fascism. Correct. A, a, a definition with... of fascism also involves a leader who is above the law. Barr's argument is that the president could stop any investigation right. as long as he felt it was unfair, quote unquote, could stop any investigation, can pardon anyone, uh, even individuals who might be involved in the investigation that may be targeting him or his family or political allies. Uh, the president could even tar uh, pardon himself. Uh, so that means the president would be above the law, correct? Uh, sure. Looks no, that no way. one else. No one. No one else can interfere in an investigation on law. You know, uh, through um, any means, even if that person is completely innocent. Uh, so Barr did this. You know, going back to the reign of the first George Bush, uh, he advised. George H.W. Bush to issue pardons in the Iran-Contra affair, uh, pardons which essentially exempted uh, people from potentially testifying against him and his involvement in Iran-Contra. So, so Barr's a cheap hack bagman. Now, Lindsey Graham, I, do I don't believe it's conspiratorial to suggest that there may be incriminating uh, evidence against him and by incriminating i mean what? it's I'll an open for, secret that he lives in a glass closet yeah i mean but I mean, that's what how can that be incriminating since we all know he's gay be, because in the, because in the south there's this uh, among still among many southerners who would vote for graham you know uh middle-aged and conservative older whites um conservative whites christian whites that as long as Graham isn't open, as long as it doesn't have to be acknowledged, you know, that, uh, you know, he engages in just those shameful acts, you know, in, in, in uh, so the as long as he's in the closet, his, his they own can, home. They can correct. Yeah. Correct. Yeah. Uh, even, though it's a, even though it's apparent to everyone that he's a gay man. Now, even if there isn't um, some definitive video or uh, testimony to that effect, from an ex-lover, you know as well as I do, Trump could go on the offensive, would campaign in his home state, imitating his mannerisms, mocking his speech, doing everything, but you know, openly stating that, to use a, a term I think Trump would use, that he's a, quote, pansy, unquote. You know that as well as I do. Um, so aside from simply the expediency of clinging to power by supporting Trump, well, you there's know also what? that in Graham's You just case. said the word, though, because what, what Max Boot was saying, this, these people are all, they're, first of all, gutless, and expediency is what they value, apparently. Not, not courage, not their own honor, not true service. I don't even understand it. I, I, they are so corrupted. They are so corrupted. I guess this, you know, finding out how corrupt uh, people are is still something that I have a lot of trouble comprehending. I'll pose a question to you. As, I pose, I'm going to pose a question to you in the audience as a rhetorical in this case. I posed it to a, um, I really don't do call-ins to other shows nearly as often as I used to, but I, I did... Uh, a couple of weeks back, uh, call in to a conservative talk show host, someone who's semi-reasonable, not in this area. Um, but, you know, what man of honor, integrity, or individual, forget man, but I mean, the president's always been a man. What honest, uh, fundamentally honest uh, individual with, you know, who has some real integrity, who acts ethically, have you ever known who's surrounded by Thieves, liars, uh, you know, uh, 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 criminals, corrupt individuals, ethically compromised individuals, sycophants, because that's all you see around him. Right. That's all you see around him. John, because I gotta, I'm, I'm, out of, I'm out of time. <laughs> I understand. Okay, but no, Sorry. you're right. You Sorry. know, you can know you know him by the company he keeps. I mean, it's it's, it's absolutely so clear, so clear. Thank you for the call.
I appreciate You're it. Welcome. Bye-bye. And I got to go. I got to go get some blood taken out of me for various purposes. And I, I haven't eaten, and I'm hungry, and so I want to do it neat. Okay? So I'll see you guys tomorrow. And I should say, tomorrow is my last show for a week. Taking a little vacation. Um with a friend and, and my dog. <laughs> Sounds perfect. Okay? Have a good one. Bye. Lynn Cullen Live, Monday through Friday from 10 a.m. to 11 a.m. and archived at pghcitypaper.com. The opinions expressed on Lynn Cullen Live are those of the host and do not necessarily reflect the viewpoints of Pittsburgh City Paper or its advertisers.